Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're in Underwood, Iowa with sixth generation farmers, Kevin and Sarah Ross. We're talking about Kevin and Sarah's important role in connecting with farmers and advocating for agriculture, including Kevin's new role as president of the National Corn Growers Association. We also touch on life on the farm with their four boys, the importance of technology and connectivity in farming in rural America, Sarah's involvement with Common Ground, and some great stories around her transition to farm life. So here we go with Kevin and Sarah Ross. All right, well, we're here today with Kevin and Sarah Ross from Underwood, Iowa. Guys, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Yep, thank you. Thanks, Dana. Well, Kevin, you are a sixth generation farmer. Tell us about growing up on the farm. Uh, it was uh, it was a great experience growing up. Um, so for me, my parents you know didn't farm, but we grew up on the my dad's side of the family family farm over there, um, five miles away from here. We currently live on uh, on my mom's uh, family farm, or we're sixth sixth generation here and fifth on uh, my dad's side. And um, yeah, my dad was a computer programmer, uh, worked and commuted in into Omaha uh, every day for I don't know forty years or something like that. And then uh, my uh, my mother was a, a, a grade school teacher at Underwood, um, but had uncles on on both sides that that were farming when I was growing up, and, and grandparents certainly that were involved in the uh, operations at that time too. So uh, you know, I I've been involved in it since uh, since I was a kid and. Um, enjoyed every minute of it growing up on the farm. That's for sure. So, did you always know you wanted to be a farmer? <laughs> so, uh, if if you were interviewing my mom right now, she would tell you that I that I used to take every little farm magazine that she would save for me, and I would cut out pictures of tractors. And she had a, a ginormous pile of cut out tractors and implements and things like that that were in one closet tucked away. And and uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sarah, when did you come into the picture? Well, I met Kevin about 13 and a half years ago. Um, I did not grow up here in Iowa. I grew up in South Central Nebraska in a small town, egg community, but not on a farm. My family's in the insurance business, so that's where I grew up. I had family on both sides that farmed, but um, I guess I met Kevin at the Commodity Classic out in Anaheim in 2006. So uh, at that time, I was living in Des Moines. And uh, was working, doing trade shows for a crop insurance company. And he, uh, my version of the story is that he came over and talked to me in my booth. He claims that I, he was that I was winking at him or something like that. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with my version. And uh, <laughs> mine's the truth. Though. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got married a year later after the falling commodity classic and moved out to the farm. And uh, it was. I, I got submersed in the <laughs> farming culture here real fast. Uh, he claims that if I wouldn't have uh, joined in right away, I probably still wouldn't be around, or I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have kept me around. <laughs> but I, uh, I enjoy it. It's completely different than how I grew up. I mean, I grew up on that quintessential street where you can ride your bike everywhere and your mom yelled at you when it was dinner time type thing. The whole neighborhood was all kids and stuff. But I really like, uh, I love living out here on the farm and raising our kids out here. It's, it's, uh, it's a good way. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about what that transition was like and how you kind of learned farming. <laughs> well, I remember my first experience <laughs> on the farm um, was uh, it was calving season. 
So I guess that was probably the best <laughs> test because when you're calving, it's you're here and you're checking cows around the clock and and everything. And uh, we, you know, you can make plans, but you don't always get to do those plans. So I remember it was St. Patrick's Day weekend and and we had made plans with some friends, but there was a cow that was going to have a calf. So we stayed to keep an eye on her. But just seeing that, uh, I think that one maybe was the one that had. Would you like me calf. to tell the story? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Kevin can tell. So uh, first of all, there was a blizzard. So Sarah ended up uh, stuck down here. You know, obviously an hour and a half away. But I think I think she tried to get stuck here. Um, but yeah, there was uh, a, a cow that we had that was breech calf, and um, whenever you got a breech calf, you know, they just just issues and. Um, Anyway, and so the cow was very unhappy. Obviously, the calf was wrong direction, and she was not not pleased that we were going to have to uh, pull the calf out, you know, and and um, help her out anyway. And, and she was she was very upset. This cow was not not really nice. And, uh, and anyway, and so Sarah and my I had to call my mom and dad to come up and help. And in the blizzard, and, uh, yeah, in the blizzard, my old man comes up, and and we were <laughs> we were working on this and. As I'm, you know, with my arm in this cow trying Bare to grab arm. a hoof, I, uh, you know, I looked looked over the alleyway in the barn. I was like, "How's this for you?" <laughs> and uh, and she was a little squeamish, but she stuck around. So, <laughs> so it really was a good test. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, Sarah, at some point, you started a blog. Tell yep. us a little bit about that. So about I don't know. Our I guess our first son was just born that year, and. I was sharing with other people, like friends and family, kind of what we were doing on the farm. And I blogging was kind of, to me, was a little bit newer. I know it had been around for a little while, but I thought that would be a good and easy way to, you know, just post on the internet, super quick, quick and simple, you know, and then, you know, family and friends can read it and see what we're doing on the farm. And uh, about the same time, um, I got a phone call from Iowa Corn asking him if I'd be involved um, in this new group called Common Ground. And they kind of went hand in hand because Common Ground is a group of farm women and our goal and our objective is to reach out to consumers um, in the urban areas and talk to them about our family farm. So it was about the same time that both of those happened. So between blogging and different social media platforms and Common Ground, um, I, was, I kind of got thrown into you know, being an advocate for agriculture and uh, really enjoy it. Um, Common Ground... I know what we do on our farm, but Common Ground has allowed me to reach out and meet other farmers and learn what they do too. So I like to talk to consumers about what we do on our family farm, but if they have questions about other, you know, types of agriculture, um, I can answer some of the questions, but if not, I can connect them with a farmer that can um, answer those questions, whether it's dairy or, um, you know, hog farming or raising sheep and things like that. I have, I have friends that can talk on that. So I think it's a great way to reach out to consumers because, you know, social media goes goes a long ways and all around the world. I, I know last time I looked, there's there was readers from all parts of the world reading reading the blog. I haven't blogged in a couple of years, but all of it, most of it's still relevant. I like to share my recipes and um, things that we're doing on our farm through uh, Instagram and Facebook and things like that now because it's, it's a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, blogging has changed so much over the years. But um, the I kid, still... The kids are just older in the pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But it's still a good uh, resource for consumers to check out. Yeah. Talk about the power of the internet and how that helps you here on the farm. Well, um, 
know, the internet's changed farming in general and changed, I think, uh, the landscape of rural America in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, for the good side of it, there's just a, a lot of things that we're able to do now, uh, remotely. And when that, that, um, you know, keeps people, uh, with jobs and uh, able to earn income, you know, in the rural areas. Um, and certainly from the ag side of it, you know, there's, uh, there's just all kinds of different things, whether it's, you know, auctions online, um, you know, we can buy cattle from all across the U S and have videos, seeing them, uh, and which is, you know, it's done all the time now. It's, it's a, a normal practice for a lot of cattle buyers and a lot of people that, uh, uh, that have cow calf herds. And so, um, I'm sure that's similar in, in, uh, you know, other species as well, but, um, that's one of the big things that, that, uh, that I've seen change and, and certainly on the, you know, on the agricultural side is, or on the, on the, uh, you know, plants and agriculture side as well. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's helped from, I think, disease diagnosis standpoint, uh, and also, you know, just being connected to, to people, you know, you can talk about issues, um, Obviously, you could do that with a phone call before too, but the platforms are are so much more broad. You know, where when somebody posts something on on say Twitter or whatever, you know, so many more people see it, and so you're aware so much quicker. I think of of things that are going on, and and that's uh that's important from rural America standpoint, and from like I said, a disease diagnosis standpoint, things like that. I know what's going on, and in my neighbor's fields, a lot of times they post something about, hey, we're seeing this. Um, there's a little soybean midge deal that uh, has been uh, popping up here in the last, you know, last couple of years in our area. And that's been something that you can, you know, monitor. I've got some good friends that deal with, with those issues. And, um, and we've had some uh, thistle caterpillar that, that they're having some issues with uh, Northwest of here, not too far away. And, you know, pest issues, things like that. Or, you know, you talk about, you know, what, what chemical programs work well, what other ones don't. So I just think from a social media standpoint, those have been uh, simple and quick things that have changed really in the last few years. Uh, as well, you know, the data transfer of things that we do now, it's, it's kind of unbelievable when we have um, the crops and, and the GPS and all the, you know, the sub, you know, sub inch technology where we can uh, go right back over the same row or move your rows over just a few inches every year. Um, however you do that, you know, having those, you know, the GPS technology along with the internet connectivity uh, are really key uh, for rural America, just being able to, to transfer data and, and get mine back and forth to different platforms that, that I need to be able to have evaluate what we're doing here on this farm so we can get, you know, that data back to us that much quicker so we can adjust and we can make, you know, make different decisions for the next year. Well, and it's changed so much over the years. When I met Kevin, he he had dial-up because that was the only thing available then. I mean, I, I came from, a, you know, a city, Des Moines area, and so I had high-speed internet there. But coming out here, I mean, it was that, you know, you, when you dial up and you hear that noise and you have to wait for it and it's so slow. But I don't um, even remember that, honestly. It, it, really? Well, <laughs> because I worked remotely and so I could work from here, but it was really hard to because of the internet issue. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, we finally got fiber. We went from dial up to satellite to fiber now. And it's also allowed me to be able to work from home. Um, I don't have to go to an office. I can work, you know, my desk is where you can see it. It's right over there. So I can work from home. I can be here, raise our four boys here on the farm. If Kevin needs help or driving the combine or whatever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. He doesn't let me drive the combine except for that one time when, we finished up soybeans when we were dating. That was the only time. <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot of things I don't remember. <laughs> With your farming operation and living on the farm, how do you stay involved? You talked a little bit about the internet playing a role in this, but how else do you stay involved and connect with other farmers? 
Well, I think, um, yeah, definitely the, the, the social platforms are, are certainly key to that. But, um, you know, for me, I had the privilege to be involved in the association side of it. And um, whether it was the Iowa Corn Growers Association uh, or now on the national level at National Corn, um, you know, that's certainly uh, given me different opportunities than, than a lot of folks. And, and just to be able to say, hey, I, I meet with these people on a regular basis. Um, people from different states, and uh, and in, in fact, you know, I'm good friends with people from uh, a multitude of states, so I can call them up and talk to them about their issues. And, and certainly, I've I've traveled to a, a lot of different states, driven to to see a lot of different people and understand their operations. And and uh, a lot of that was so I could understand the issues that, at a national level, so we could you know, uh, so I can be a better advocate for them. Um, but uh, you know, staying connected with farmers, I think, in general, is it's it's just changed the way you know, we're our awareness of the issues that they deal with. And for me, you know, uh, being able to, to advocate for those issues and actually put them on a national platform or take them to, uh, you know, the secretary of ag or whoever, you know, within those offices or, uh, or even our, you know, congressmen and senators offices, you need to be able to, to understand the issue. Well, I mean, you also need to be able to, uh, you know, convey, convey what you're told and what you understand. So, um, those are things that I've, you know, been lucky enough to have good training to do. And, and also, uh, uh, hopefully we're, you know, doing the right thing when we get out there and, and actually, you know, convey those messages. But, uh, um, locally it's, it's also interesting cause I'm gone a lot now, you know, and trying to connect with our, uh, or stay, you know, stay close to our local, local folks. But, um, I think as Sarah mentioned, we, you know, insurance side of things, we do some some crop insurance work, and really I get a chance to, to talk with a, a fair amount of farmers in our local area, which is really helpful for me to uh, to understand uh, not only those programs, but also, uh, you know, just knowing the issues that they're dealing with and, and talking to those guys a lot. So between that and just, you know, a lot of friends and neighbors growing up in this area, um, we you know, you, you end up talking to a lot of people that you are uh, have similar interests in, whether that's business or, or, or just uh, – uh, shooting out the kids in 4-H and things like that. It's it, it certainly we yeah in sports. I mean we <laughs> we're we're on the move a lot, so we're, we stay connected with a lot of people. <laughs> so talk a little bit about why it's important that farmers step into those roles and take leadership and and be a voice for other farmers. You know I think the issues are always coming. You know there's not a there's not a time where somebody's not looking at ag for you know a a cut or at least a, um, or, or people not understanding the value of agriculture in a lot of ways that I think we do, you know, here when we're in the, in the business. Um, and so, you know, there's just, you got to have people working for you all the time. And so being involved in those associations and, and at the farmer level, being able to take, you know, your knowledge of the situation. And like I said, convey it to, uh, our advocates that are out in DC or at state capital here in Iowa. Um, you have to have people that are out there watching these issues every day and I can't do it cause I've got work to do here. And, and I know that's the same way, uh, every other farmer is that's across the U S you know, they've got, they've got their own jobs to do at home. So, you know, it takes membership, it takes, uh, association work. That's why you have these things that are, that, that hire people and hire good people out there to, to be watching the issues and working for you every day. And that's, uh, uh, it's very much needed and I get a chance to see that for sure. Yeah. Well, farming is one of those industries that can be very unpredictable and constantly changing. How have you guys learned how to navigate those changes? I don't think we have learned how to navigate <laughs> those changes. Um, it, it is unpredictable, and that's the thing. You know, as much as you prepare and you you try to uh, 
make your farm, you know, resilient to, to, to different issues. Um, you know, that's the best you can do, but you can never predict, uh, weather. I don't care, you know, what they say for a short-term, long-term forecast. It's just, it's not, uh, it's not something that's easily done and they seem to be wrong a lot. So, uh, <laughs> you know, those are, those are things that, uh, I guess, you know, we're, we try to, like I said, we try to make our farm resilient, try to make it sustainable for the long term, whether that's our farming practices. Um, you know, we do a lot of no-till in our area because we're in the hills. Um, and and we've got, uh, you know, do some cover crop things. Also, you know, building soil health, but also uh, because we have cattle. And so with with the cows, it works out well from a grazing standpoint and, and a feed value standpoint. So um, we try to, you know, you try to mitigate risk is what you try to do. So you guys have four handsome boys. Uh, how are they involved on the farm? They've basically been involved since day one. I think I have a picture of Hudson when he was a week old. It was right. He was born during calving season. So Kevin had him out there. He had little sunglasses on and, and checking the cows. But they, I mean, they help out, especially with the cattle. They, uh, they really enjoy it. Hudson, our oldest, is showing his first bottle calf um, this week at fair. Um, but they're out there helping do chores. The twins who are just three and a half, almost four, they, uh, they'll, any chance they get to go with daddy to check cows or ride, they have been asking to ride in the combine nonstop. Um, and we're a little ways off from that, but they, uh, they love it. Um, they know they're not going to ride in the combine until the corn is brown. Though. Yeah. We're a little ways off. When the corn's brown, that's what they keep saying. Do they just go sit in it in the meantime? I used to do that <laughs> no, as a kid. Yeah. They, yeah. They will climb the ladder and get up there though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just, I guess to, to add on to what Sarah said, they, they, uh, they do help a lot with cattle and f- for the oldest to only be a nine and, um, and then our middle son, he's, he's six and, and he's just getting to the age where, uh, you know, you can put a, a paddle or a flag in his hand and, and, uh, you know, help move him around if you need to do that. Um, you certainly got to be careful in what situations you put them in, but, um, uh, it's, you know, uh, growing up on the farm, same thing at, at those ages, you're, you're learning, you're, uh, trying to figure out, um, you're, you're, as a father, you're trying to make sure you're, they're in safe situations and also, uh, teach them about farm safety. Cause there's a lot of dangers here, but, uh, you can never, you know, you can never take away all the dangers on a farm or, or in a lot of different places. But in this case, there's certainly plenty of them. But, um, one of the things that we, I think we try to do is make sure that, uh, that they understand what, what things they should and shouldn't do. And, and we probably, you know, let them do a lot of things, but, uh, you know, and are, are more hands off than some, but they, you know, that, that's how they learn. And, um, I certainly, I'd rather have my kids, you know, here and understanding what we do and, and also, uh, you know, learning about the equipment and learning about the cows and, and growing up within that, than than uh, um, you know, having them try to go to it later and, and learning later in life. It's, it's, it's helpful for me. And also I think, uh, a good education spot for them. Definitely. Well, as sixth generation farmers, how do you plan on carrying this family legacy down through your kids? You know, it, it's uh, these farms have been in the family for a long time. So I guess first off, um, you'd always like to keep them, uh, you know, in in the family. But at the same time, um, we're having the opportunity to raise the kids here. And if that means they're not involved in the farm later, that's OK. They uh, they certainly um 
they're going to figure out their own way in life. And, and I figure that this is at least builds their skills at, at this level. And hopefully that, uh, you know, that gives them a leg up in, in different situations. So whether or not they come back here, I, you know, who knows, but, um, they, they certainly, um, will understand the values and, and understand food production and, and, uh, understand what it takes to, to grow, you know, corn, soybeans, cattle, and, and other things here. So Sarah's got an extensive garden, so they're learning things about that too. But, um, uh, and, and I guarantee you they're going to learn how to work. So that's, that's something that, uh, um, you know, I think is, is really one of the keys that we can, uh, you know, help with those kids and help raise them with that type of work ethic. So, uh, I don't, I don't want to let that go by the wayside for sure. When we've been doing things, I mean, Kevin's been doing it since I've known him, but, um, just over the years, every year we try to improve whether we're improving the land, um, building our herd, you know, things like that. Looking forward to if somebody, um, or all four of them, if all four of them want to come back, we're, <laughs> we'll probably be in trouble, but, um, <laughs> I'm going to retire, <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to sit back and watch the chaos. <laughs> we, we do want to make sure that if somebody does, or if some of them do want to come back and farm that they do have the opportunity to do that someday. Well, what do you love about your small town and getting to raise your kids here? I, I love this area. Um, Underwood reminds me a lot of where I grew up in South Central Nebraska, um, small town. Everybody knows everybody. Um, the nice thing about where we live is we're also close to a bigger city, Omaha. So, I mean, it's we kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. Growing up in a small community, our kids have a lot of opportunities in a small town that they might not in a big city. Um, and they're involved in 4-H now. Um, sports is keeps us going nonstop. Um, but the education here in our small community is, is amazing. Uh, I think we're very lucky to live where we live. Uh, Kevin grew up here, went to the same school. His mom taught there. Um, so yeah, I, it's, this is a great place to live. Yeah, no question. It's uh, just very lucky to have, to have grown up in this area where we are close to the, to the city where you can, uh, have all the amenities of a city and, and still be, you know, as rural, rural as can be out here where we're at. But, um, uh, it's just kind of, I mean, to me, I probably take some things for granted just because I did grow up here. Uh, but certainly, uh, I would echo what, what Sarah said that the small town I think is, uh, in, in a lot of cases undervalued. And if you know, you've grown up there, a lot of people come back to them because they, they see that later and, you know, they, uh, you know, go away for a while and then realize, yeah, the small town life wasn't that bad. Um, I, uh, you know, personally though, this, this home area for me, uh, a lot of small towns around here, are just, uh, you know, very, very nice town towns, nice people. Um, and just, and I'm sure that's that way, you know, all across, uh, all across the nation, but, uh, you know, home's home. And, and for me, this is it. Well, I think that's great. And why do you think it's important that we be involved in our rural communities and help steward them for the next generation? Well, uh, I guess for me, uh, my family has been involved in my community. I mean, just growing up forever. My grandparents helped with uh, all kinds of different things. Our local, uh, it's called UMBA. It's the Underwood Memorial Building Association. And it's, but anyway, it's uh, a local community town hall that always had all the events and roller skating Friday nights, things like that. My, my grandparents were very instrumental in, in uh, building that. And uh, and it's it's still you know a wildly successful place today and and um, you know my my brother's been involved in it my parents have been involved in it we do the Fourth of July uh, 
uh, I actually announced the 4th of July parade and it's, I mean, we get probably, you know, 3000 people in our small town, maybe 4,000. I don't know. It's packed, uh, for that parade. It's a, it's a really great event. Um, and then our local, you know, corn associations and, and church involvement, different things like that, that, uh, you know, our families, I think just, just grew up doing. And so, um, you know, for us, community involvement, I think is just kind of, uh, a way of life. And, um, you know, these small towns, it, it takes people to make them go and takes people to make events, uh, run. And, and in our case, it, it, you know, we're just happy to be a part of that, I guess. And, um, a lot of satisfaction gets, you know, gets, uh, it comes around when an event gets pulled off in your small town. I think people, people show a lot of pride when that happens. Well, what's next for you guys? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, well, coming up next, obviously, is the National Corn Presidency. That's the first and foremost, and that's that's what is, you know, at hand. If you mean beyond that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> that's I, what I was I have, thinking. Uh, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. I know no, what the next two years looks that's like. That's actually what I was thinking. So. Yeah, that's, um, that's coming up, and that's a definitely a big job. Um, Certainly, it's a, it's an absolute privilege to represent uh, the forty thousand members that we've got across the U.S. and and the broader you know three hundred thousand growers that that raise corn. And so, uh, to be in that position and and have been you know elected by my peers to do that, uh, that's that's something that is um, it's a, it's a position you do not take lightly. That's a, a large responsibility. So I'm looking forward to it though. Uh, very much want to uh, you know want to make sure that the messages and the issues that corn growers deal with are put first and foremost on the national agricultural stage. And, and also that I think, uh, you know, I hope people understand the value of what corn is to the U S uh, corn in general is, uh, it's a fantastic crop. And I think it's, it's a little bit, uh, uh, undersold as to, to how, um, amazing the crop is. And as a grain itself, the many different uses, um, and, and the fact that it's so, you know, it's easily stored and that's why it's really got to, uh, the levels that it has. And it's also from a production standpoint, um, you know, it's something that's been, uh, gained in production and, and gained in value and, and, uh, the, just the different things that we can do with it are absolutely amazing. And you can do a whole podcast on all the different things that, uh, you know, corn uses that are out there. So you don't, you don't have to, you know, give me credit for that idea later, but, okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, round two, but, um, <laughs> It is, it, it does, you know, it's just something that I think, uh, hopefully I can bring, you know, bring focus to and bring a level of, uh, uh or elevate the crop itself in, in people's eyes. Cause it's, it's truly amazing. And we have a lot of it here. We do. We do. <laughs> we happen to live in the corn state, but you know, the entire Midwest and, and it's, you know, it's the only crop that's growing in all 50 States. And so, um, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. I saw, pioneer trucks going uh in hawaii one time when we were there i think it might have been on our honeymoon and i was like oh this is like home you know yeah. <laughs> weird <laughs> but um you know those types of things are little known but it's it's done it's that way because it is such an important crop to, to so many people so while we're on that topic talk a little bit more about some of the uses of corn that we that we maybe do know about but also that we don't know about Sure. Yeah. Corn, you know, 4,000 different products, uh, 4,000 plus that, that corn is in. Um, and you know, there's hundreds in your grocery store, but well beyond that, there's uh, a, a lot of industrial chemical type uses. Um, obviously ethanol is a, is a big market for, uh, for our corn and, and, uh, makes a, you know, clean burning, um, 
uh, fuel that's that's helping to clean the air and certainly helped out a lot of big cities across the U.S. and their air quality issues. So uh, we're proud to you know be part of the ethanol industry and around here and as well as uh, uh, are the people that I know that are involved in it. Um, a lot of jobs that come from that you know ethanol industry as well. Uh, I, I also sit on a board for a biodiesel plant, and we've used a lot of corn oil. So you can say corn goes into to biodiesel as well in some respects. But uh, there's certainly corn oil is used in cooking um, and a lot of different food products. As I said, you know, you get, uh, uh, you know, a lot of corn in, in either candy bars or, oh, my goodness, it's in your milk and cheese because it's fed to the dairy cows or uh, in every steak that you happen to eat or every hamburger because I guarantee that that uh, – Pretty much every cow that's out there is being fed corn, whether it's in a silage form uh, or in, you know, actual grain form. So, uh, and that would go for, you know, hogs and chickens and, and uh, all the meat, meats that are out there. So fantastic uh, product. Um, there's just tons and tons of uses. Plastics is one of the newer ones that the uh, bioplastics uh, and these different polymer uses that, uh, that are being developed. Um, I think, uh, the, the, as I mentioned, the versatility of the product itself or versatility of corn, just an absolutely amazing crop and, and the, the different pieces of that kernel, uh, and even the, the fibers that are, you know, in the stock and, and the cob too, that they're finding more uses for it's, um, it's fascinating and people do research on it every day. And, and, uh, those are people that are, you know, are more nerdy about corn than I am. So it's kind of amazing, <laughs> but, um, I don't know, Sarah probably has some other corn products that she could talk about too. So not to be confused, but sweet corn is what we eat off the cob or in a can that you buy at the grocery store. And that's less than 1% of all corn that is actually grown in the United States. So, um, I know this time of the year in mid July, August time, um, everybody's eating a lot of the sweet corn. They're picking it out of the fields and selling it at farmer's markets or in the grocery store. Um, the type of corn that Kevin was talking about that has the 4,000 plus uses is the field corn that we grow here on our family farm in Iowa. Sure. The, the only you know, real direct food uses, I guess, of, of field corn would be, you know, feeding directly to livestock that's going to end up on your on your plate at a great meal later or, uh, you know, uh, the tortilla chips, things like that. Um, uh, you know, your yeah, your tacos, burritos, things like that, that nature um, or grits, you know, in the south. That's that's something that would be basically directly from field type corn. Um, otherwise, you know, otherwise it's usually processed in some way, made into, uh, you know, different products, sweeteners, uh, sweeteners are, are really key and sugar is just sugar. FYI, it doesn't matter. Your body can't tell the difference. <laughs> uh, just thought I'd throw that in there because it's always confused and drives me crazy. But, um, um, definitely, uh, it's, it's used in a lot of different products for sure. Yeah. Makeup even. I can't believe Sarah didn't mention makeup or did she? <laughs> <laughs> One of the other products that, that corn is made into is one of my favorites, whiskey. Uh, probably, probably too much of a favorite sometimes, but uh, uh, but I'll tell you, it's you know you don't make it without it, and there's a lot of people that that uh, would be very upset if we stopped producing corn. <laughs> Good point. Well, how do we follow along with with you as the new president of the National Corn Growers Association and? And Sarah, the things that you have going on too. Well, for me, uh, you can follow along at, at K Ross Farms on Twitter. And then also uh, the National Corn uh, Twitter uh, is at National Corn, I believe. But, um, you know, follow along at National Corn or at Iowa Corn. Uh, and it's at Iowa underscore corn, I believe, for, uh, for their Twitter handle. 
you know, there's a lot of different things that, that I talk about uh, on there uh, that we'll tweet about, whether it's renewable fuels issues, which are vitally important to rural America, um, or, you know, other production issues, or uh, I might I might tweet about Cyclone football every once in a while because it's also kind of a big passion of mine there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, those are the, type, the ways you can follow us and, and um, hopefully, hopefully we, you know, people are taking a look and seeing what we're doing. That's great. And that's a way to follow you. I will not be tweeting about cyclones, but (laughs) (laughs) you can follow along with me and what's going on on the farm at uh, the underscore Mrs. Sarah Ross or um, on my blog is Sarah's hyphen house.com. So again, the blog, a lot of relevant things on there still, but up to date um, going on is more social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Vlogs on pause. The vlogs on pause indefin- indefinitely, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but like I said, I still share a lot of the things on there. It's um, it's a great resource still for for consumers to check out um, different things that we do on our farm and recipes and all the fun things I've shared over the many years that I did blog. Perfect. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes, uh, guys. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for yeah, having thank us. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned so much in this episode. And guys, while Sarah didn't grow up on the farm, you would never know it now. And I have to say, as an Iowa corn farmer's daughter, it's fun to know that corn is the only crop grown in all 50 states. And there are over 4,000 uses of corn. I had no idea. I'm excited to follow along with Kevin as the president of the National Corn Growers Association, and I encourage you to do the same. So head to the show notes for those links. We want to wish all of our Iowa corn farmers and farmers everywhere a safe and successful harvest. Thanks again to Kevin and Sarah for being on the podcast, and thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day, everybody.